This is the one with a bottle rocket. No Donna Noble. Chicken and beef. The lost moon of Pooch. And, and minutes minute upon minutes of talking over each other. other. It's called Midnight. It's called Midnight. Stop it. Stop it. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> We're still on our rentless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Slovene and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Uden, wow. Tennant, Smith and Eccleston. And Capaldi, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Back when reviewing all new who there is. Who back when subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha, and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and variations thereupon. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Today we're reviewing a new Who episode, N052, Midnight. Yes, we are. You're Ponkin. I am Ponkin. That's where I was going. And you are <laughs> Drew. Back when. Hello, Drew. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Wonderful. I'm very glad to hear. We're also recording in front of a live studio audience. Shout! Hello, Mirimo. Hello, podcast lad. So you said that you hadn't seen this fully. I think I'd remember it. One would think that you would, yeah. Saying that, I didn't remember all of the details. I remembered loving it, and I remembered one element of it, which we will get to at some point, but just, I didn't remember all of it. Just constantly rising tension and fear. I mean, it's it's the Reservoir Dogs of Doctor Who. It's the... <laughs> yeah, it's, I suppose it's it is. Ross T. Davis's Hateful Eight in space, in a caravan <laughs> on a diamond planet. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, identical. Uh, other, I mean... I mean, are there eight pla- of them? It's plagiarism. Yeah. That's fine. We should be scale anyway. We should be scale. Let's do that. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and, and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? We're finally treated to a bottle episode when Donna Noble decides to get a tan while the Doctor embarks on an eight-hour school trip across the deadly diamond landscape of Planet Midnight. When the school bus breaks down and an alien force seemingly possesses one of the passengers, one by one, they begin to turn on each other. Be scout over, you are welcome. Aren't you just, and holy smokeroonies, that is, I'm already excited by that. Why what? By that B-Scout. Oh, yes. I mean, th- this is such a, an incredibly tense episode. And so unlike what has come before it in New Who anyway. Yes. Wait, wait, hang on. Have we had a bottle episode on New Who? Well, well, not up to this point. I mean, it reminded me a bit of a murder on Planet Express or whatever mm. the, the um, Frank Skinner, Agatha Christie takeoff was. The Capaldi. Yeah, much yeah. later. Much, much later, yes. But up until this point, we've not had a bottle episode on New Who, right? Mm. Have we not? Have we not? Hang on. I'm not sure we have. What's the one where the Slitheen come back and they do a lot of talking with the Doctor? That's quite bottly. And they do it. Oh. Isn't it? What? I don't remember Seriously? that. I don't remember a Slitheen bottle episode. Am I? I mean, the closest thing that you might get to a bottle episode with them is uh, Boomtown, but there's so much else going on in that as well. Yes, there's like an extended conversation between Eccleston and, and what's her face? Blonde Felfoch something something Slitheen. Okay, you've got me there. So it might my mind went straight to <clears throat> the edge of discretion. It didn't go to 42. Bottly. Oh, maybe it is, actually. A little. It is, isn't it? Actually, yeah. I think 
you might be right about that. Maybe maybe that merits a squeaky voice. The Edge of the Discretion. Edge of Discretion is a hundred percent a bottle episode, and it also has rising tension, or at the very least, you know, the the bland attempt at at one. And it, yeah, and and that sort of reservoir dog ish uh, dogging <laughs> element <laughs> of whom can you trust, and is there a traitor in our midst? Has someone sided with the enemy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that might be the only other bottle episode that I've seen so far on Doctor Who in the scope of Who Back When. I mean that and Forty Two and Gridlock doesn't really count because there are many different bottles. Yeah, exactly. In a larger bottle, exactly. But yeah, so I mean, so this is at least extremely rare. But but also on top of that, it is quite. I mean, I think it stands out. It it really does stand out, just like Edge of Discretion stood out. Edge of Discretion, by the way, was the the third serial of Doctor Who ever. And they were already low on budget and needed to make some of it back by completely yes. cutting down on <laughs> yeah, external before shots that they had and done, scenery. Yeah, and... before that they had done The Daleks, which right. was a massive investment. Can't remember what the fourth one was, but the... Oh, Marco Polo. Already in the very beginning, there was the thought, the ambition to have this incredibly tense psychological thriller, you know, just set between four walls, or yeah. however many walls you have in the Daleks. And yeah, here we have a return to that. That Since then, the series has mutated into something that does doesn't really allow for psychological thriller. How often do you get like the level of darkness that you get in in this episode? Very rarely, right? Yeah, very rarely. And also, I mean, I know there are a, a million very similar lame devices of how the Doctor is separated from the TARDIS, and yeah. that's how he escapes. But exactly uh, the Davis principle. Yeah, but we, <laughs> but RTD wrote this episode. Yeah. And we don't even see the TARDIS. Oh, uh, yes, uh, you're you're right. I didn't even make a note of this. Then afterwards, I read in the um, the trivia that this is the very first time since episode something something of Genesis of the Daleks that that has happened. Wow, that's Tom Baker. Oh shit! I mean, that's isn't it? I think Genesis of the Daleks is Tom Baker. So, so uh, future punkin, if I'm wrong, uh, no future punk if I'm right. Great, excellent, or thank you, me. But the uh, <laughs> either way, you win. Uh, either way, yes, cell five. That means we're talking decades where the TARDIS has featured in every single episode. That's actually more amazing as an unbroken streak. Uh, actually, you're right. Yeah, and you know, I only just figured that out while we were describing it. I didn't miss it because well done. I mean, it, well, it has just nothing to add to this episode. It That's true. Is but a very- great standalone piece. Yes, I agree. But even even in episodes where the TARDIS doesn't play a part, like an active part, at the very least, the episode or the serial will start with the Doctor and his companion just exiting the TARDIS. Yeah, rocking up or rocking off. Exactly. They just, they acknowledge the presence, the existence of the TARDIS. Here we don't even get that. They've been there for a while, you know. Donna's getting a tan and a wax. She's just, she's taking ten minutes to... Away from the ceaseless bants. Do you think that's what it is? Yeah. I reckon Just they... to get some respite from, oh, stop it. No, we're not going out. No, we're not on a date. Do you not think... Oh, yeah, I know, I know. So we get that as well. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, it's a shame that the Maria isn't here today because that would have been, you know, that's Donna taking on that joke just for herself and doing a, a swell job of it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Are you happy with Donna not being in this one, by the way? Um, I... Didn't miss... I mean, she would have been an enormous presence in that tiny bottle. It would have been interesting to see what they did with her, although... I mean, She's too loud. She is loud, and her and Mrs. Kane would have clashed. Who's Mrs. Kane? Is she the one that probably annoyed you as much as she annoyed us? Yes, she's the unremittingly awful side character. uh, She is also revoltingly dumb. Yes. And, And cowardly. 
And cowardly, yeah. And then just lies about it all. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, no, end. no, I was the only one on your side, Doctor. Yeah. But then you can you can tell, you can see that look in her eye that afterwards she's going to go home and probably, you know, either she's going to fabulous, she's going to fabricate another story, but deep down inside she's going to know that she's a massive, massive, like, I was going to say B word, that doesn't cover it, like she is the worst person alive. Well, okay. And a fraud. We Mrs. S- Kinn is a fucking fr- Fuck you. Fuck you, She's Mrs. not King. the only one. Now, I'll just... No. Just to wrap up the Donna thing from Oh, earlier, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That was a I, tangent on a tangent, by the way. I think it would have been interesting and possibly terrifying to see Donna herself be manipulated and turn against the Doctor. Because at that point, you know he's in the deepest shit. I can... I can almost see... Th- I, I can see the end happening, but not the entire episode leading up to that, because the yes, end yes. would be... I mean, it, the end would be she is suddenly toned down and is acting well towards the others, and they don't know her, so they take her for a regular human being, not knowing that she is the bombastically obnoxious Donna Noble. And therefore, uh, <laughs> we, the audience, know, well, something is clearly up because she's charismatic. And they, the co-passengers, will assume that she is normal and not an alien because she's not a pile of garbage. <laughs> I think so. But imagine the, the rest of the episode leading up to that. Like, what is she going to do? They're, they're going to have to keep her bombastic nature away from everyone else up until the point where she... Oh! Could, could she not... No, have... she could be Sky. Well, I don't think she could be Sky... She She kind of could, right? Because then you have an excuse to keep her quiet. Yes, yes. And she does a lot of copying. Yeah. She has to be... um, Yeah, she can flex those muscles. And clearly she can... Uh, I mean, as we already established a few episodes ago, I mean, she can act, you know? Yes, yes. So maybe uh, she well, could flex, flex the acting muscles. That's what mean. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, which muscles were you thinking about? Like, she's there doing kegels in the fucking space well, bus. Well, I mean, I mean, Sky has to crouch down there being a little goblin Oh, you goblin mean physically flex those muscles? For ages, she must have got some terrible cramps. Oh, yeah, probably. Or, or they must have made some sort of comfortable seat or support for her. Yeah. Sorry, tangent on a tangent on a tangent. Ah, oh, heck. So, uh, what's her face who plays Sky? What's her I didn't look up what's her face. Uh, well, the the woman who plays Sky. Yeah, she really. I mean, she can do faces. She is acting with her eyes and with with just mimicry. Oh my goodness, she is creepy on a level. Yeah, I mean, on on half a laptop screen from the shots when they're all at the back and they're pointing towards her at the front, saying, "Look at her eyes." You can see that her eyes are creepy. Yeah. With, like, a few <gasps> pixels. By the way, yes. uh, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that she doesn't blink once. Really? I don't... I think they made sure that she never blinked on screen. Oh, my... I think so. Oh my word! It was about halfway through the episode that it dawned on me. I was like, "Oh wait, she's not blinking." And from that point on, I never saw a blink. Her eyes are painted on. That's it. That's what it is. <gasps> it's that old schoolboy trick, you know? The like, oh man, I could just sleep through every class if I just tattooed eyes onto my eyelids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when she needs the creepy eyes, she just shuts them, and there they are. I wonder if any school. Oh, sorry, tangent on tangent on tangent. I wonder if any pupil ever had. Oh! no pun intended, ever had the <laughs> balls to, to go through with that. The eyeballs to go through with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> oh, that as well. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, okay, yeah. Donna maybe could have been Sky. Yeah, this is the most... Tan- I mean, okay, yeah. Why wasn't Donna Sky? <laughs> okay, well, presumably because Catherine Tate went on holiday that week. Oh, right. Or those weeks, right? Probably. Which I'm 
incredibly pleased with. I think it was nice to get a break from from Catherine Tate. Okay, we're going to get a five series break and counting coming up, dude. I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> She's the companion for this one series. Why not make the most and, of her? And coming up is going to be, uh, I mean, a string of very Donna heavy episodes, right? So oh, good, great. Uh, I think so. I'm pretty sure. I mean, she plays a pretty central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crap! I'm so squeaky. She plays a pretty central part in, in at the very least, the next one. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very pleased. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, how about we peel back one layer of tangents and uh, yeah, you return to the point you were going to make a moment ago, Drew? Let's. So I was going to make the point that Mrs. Kane is awful, mm. but we see a lot of the awful side of humanity in this episode, and we see people lurching from one to the other. The, the supporting cast, I mean, there's not much to like. There aren't many people to like among them, but even, I think, Dee Dee, the most sympathetic one, she veers in and out of yeah. being taken in and going along with the awful crowd that's true okay question for you yes is this solely sorry not solely because i think the answer to that is even given in the episode but is this is this largely due to the paranoia and the fear and inherent evil of mankind or is this whatever that entity is speaking through them because she says when she's clearly trying to manipulate right yeah she and, does and say th- those are really good those manipulation scenes where you i mean sh- she's already is manipulating but you don't know how much the people are building on that with their own nature it's that's great. that's my question exactly i mean when she's very clearly she's stolen the doctor's voice and she's this is sky and she's standing up and she's doing the charismatic donna thing of like not at all being like donna is normally especially since she isn't donna but yeah, she's and going, i'm not at all like sky was 20 minutes ago exactly yeah which actually we don't know because we don't really get to know sky that well no i suppose and especially the other characters don't we got it, an anecdote but that was to the doctor and us but that's it yeah point being she says that's what he does he gets into your heads and he turns you against each other right yes we don't know if she's just saying that to manipulate the rest of the passengers to take a side against, like, you know, to, to oppose the doctor and throw him out eventually. Or if she's actually telling the truth and these people aren't inherently evil, they are just acting on, upon the influence of this entity. What do yeah. you think? I, I think that this episode would reward multiple rewatches. I, yes. I reckon, oh, God, yes. I reckon, I mean, all the episodes written by people who aren't RTD are subject to numerous rewrites, I'm sure, because they Certainly. have to fit into the overarching arc as he is the showrunner and he gets, you know, a final draft. But this one, this seems to have been untainted, I suppose. It just seems to be so well written. It doesn't have to kowtow to outside influences and lose some of its potency thereby because i think it's just so it's just so well constructed and i reckon if we were to watch it two or three times again we'd be able to say oh and that's why she then does this and that's why she capitalizes on that she sees them interacting and she learns from that and i think it's all very logically put together she learns from the interaction that the doctor had with mr kane and yeah and dd Dee Dee in that particular scene and then she uses an aspect of that against them she capitalizes on the human fear of the other and their growing antipathy or whatever and rivalries uh, uh, social status within the group whatever she she puts all of that together and just pulls the rug out from under them slash yeah she does none of that and that is solely the instinct and inherent xenophobia of uh, humankind i think one is driving the other 
I think that is how they're interacting, and then she will say something that will then drive them onto a greater level of xenophobia and fear. Oh, I see. And she learns from that. Yeah, that's very possible. It all just spirals out of control incredibly quickly. Because yes, but but it is very quick. It's yeah, it's very quick and it's very intense. But I think not necessarily because of. you know, like the, the the nature of however many there are, six or seven people stuck inside a confined space, but solely by sheer, you know, by sheer virtue of this having to s- squeeze into 40 minutes of TV. Yeah. They have to escalate everything very, very quickly. Yes. But it, I mean, okay, you do sometimes get a little bit of whiplash when someone switches from against the doctor to for the doctor. Yeah. But it's not that At much. the very end, when they're all in one like one corner of the room of the of the bus yeah that's a little on the whiplashy side there are when a few... you say the very end what do you mean at the you know when at the end when when uh, she actually surpasses the doctor in terms of as in, you know she's repeating then she's reciting alongside everyone in the bus and then she actually surpasses them and says what the doctor is about to say ahead of him yeah she gains her own voice exactly at which point shazamatron doc and cole go to one like the far end of the bus yeah, um, and the doctor's looking into the screen, and that's some moving shit. It is. It it definitely, definitely is. But at that point, maybe that's the only part of the episode where it escalates a little bit too abruptly. Well, possibly, but I thought at that point she was also at the peak of her powers, and so I didn't really mind that she was manipulating people with that much more facility. You know what? I'm not even going to call you an apologist for this. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to walk all of it back. I agree with you. I think this is a this is wonderfully well crafted and within the the mythos of its own. You know the the bubble that it's built for itself. And I'm going to get back to this as a bubble, but yeah, uh, I think it all makes sense. It's all very logical. Yeah, and and because of that, the whiplash is minimised because it has to fit into 40 minutes, like you say. And if we saw characters in any other milieu, in any other context, yeah. ping-ponging like this, we'd think, oh my goodness, this is appalling writing. But it's such good writing that it holds it together despite all these impossible odds of constraints stacked okay. against it. Yes. Okay, hang on. So let me address this bubble thing. Okay. First off, bit of trivia. This was not meant to happen now. In Doctor Who, this this episode was originally meant to sit ahead of what's it called, Forest of the Dead, Silence in the Library, and Forest of the Dead. Yeah, uh, which would have made it the fiftieth episode of New Who, Ooh. which is why the bus is called the Crusader Fifty. Oh, and so take the fact that they have transposed this episode of Doctor Who from one part of the serial to another. To N052. Bingo bongo. And if that is possible, and we've already acknowledged that there's very it, there's a huge discrepancy between the, the style and the, the general format of this episode and most of the rest of Who, what are the odds, do you think? Is it cynical to say? Like, What are the odds, do you think, that this was repurposed into a Doctor Who script? Because there's not even a TARDIS in it. You know, like this this episode could very easily be an incredibly well written standalone sci-fi story. Yes. Oh well I, I absolutely got that impression and this is I, I hate to repeat myself. Yeah. Because Podcast Land is such attentive listeners, they will 
Oh, yeah. Pick they, up on the repetition they, immediately. They will take you to task. Yes. Yeah. But my ideal conception of Doctor Who is that you have just that. You have sci-fi short stories and all the potential therein, and you put Doctor Who in there, and he brings the best out of those. And I think that's what's happened here. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, RTD has no other vehicle for this, for his brilliant sci-fi <laughs> short story. I don't mind that it's a short story that never got published in an anthology or whatever. This, I think, is the absolute best format of this this could be. I agree. How, how about we take another step back and we just have a look at the other passengers? Yes, let's do that. All right. A tiny bit of trivia. You probably know this already. The man who plays the geriatric professor. Oh, Professor Hobbs. Professor Hobbs. What's his surname, Leon? Oh. What's his surname? Uh, is it Troughton, perchance? No. It's Dave Troughton. David Troughton, who has appeared on Doctor Who before... Not as Peladon. <laughs> you have this trivia in front of you. Uh, Sorry, go for it. No, Take no, it away. No, no, no. Take I, it away. I, I don't have the list on me. Uh, go through the list. Well, just that he's Patrick Troughton's son. He is, obviously. Yeah. He looks a lot like him, by the way. I mean, if if David Tennant had been homosexual and he wasn't going out with um, Georgia Moffat, <laughs> it would have been David Troughton, presumably. <laughs> he's the equivalent. <laughs> They'd be married now. Sure, why not? Why not? So, do you have the list of um, episodes that he's featured in? Uh, only that he that he was in Peladon and the Curse of Peladon. Yeah, he, doesn't he play King Peladon or something? Yes, like that? yes, yeah. Uh, and uh, which I've not seen, by the way. He featured in a Patrick Troughton serial. He featured as a young god. If Keep I'm, it in the family. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he played a young god in uh, something of the world, terror of the world, something of the. Oh, wait, hang on, one second. Tosser of the world. Keep going. Bell end of the world. You'll get to it. Come on, go for it. Um, dickhead of the world. Ben- um, benches of the world, suggests. <laughs> yeah. uh, audience of the world. Audience of the world. No. Um, oh, hang on, wait. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Tragedy I'm, of the world. I'm finding this. I'm calamity on, of the world. I am on whobackwhen.com right now. Miss of the world. Let's find it. <laughs> <laughs> Enemy of the world. That's the one. That oh, with the, the two Troutons. The three Troutons. The three Troutons. Exactly. And I, I think he probably pops up here and there. as like, you know, without a speaking part. Just a dude. He was in yeah. the Five-ish Doctors reboot as well. Was he? Oh, I don't remember That's that. That's what IMDb told me. We need to rewatch that. We really do. With actually armed with knowledge of the whole <laughs> dynasty of Doctor Who and actually get the 10,000 references they've hidden in there. Yeah, you're right. I'd quite like to do that, actually. Yeah. Maybe we should do that one out of sync because we've already missed speaking of by the way slight tangent from this episode review but i mean we've already missed the uh, the the chronological accuracy of reviewing torchwood as a spin-off for a bonus episode we need to do that class there's the lost episode of class maybe i'll get around to editing cleaning that up at some point oh yeah when i have a spare three weeks to tidy that up uh, <laughs> anyway yeah yeah maybe maybe we should do that why not yeah and the Sarah Jane Adventures probably. Sarah Jane Adventures Canine Friends whatever that's called Canine something yeah yes yes, yes and the three million unit movies anyway and the five-ish doctors and the five-ish doctors exactly alright so hang on so we've got Dave Troughton who else is aboard this bus um we have his research assistant yeah Dee Dee who is basically just TV extra level. Yeah, person. okay. Her name is... That's okay. Her name is Aisha Antoine. Hello, Aisha. How old do you think she is Thanks when she plays Dee Dee in this episode? Oh, that's a brilliant question. She is 24. Okay. Why did you think she was 24? Were you, did she, does she look 24? 
I feel like she could pass for 24, yeah. I She's mean, 27. Oh, really? But uh, well, that I, was pretty good. That was I, well done. Thank you. Well done, me. I spent the first part of this episode thinking she was early 50s because of that cardigan. Oh, okay. So one of my notes is not about her, but about the professor. Guess the geriatric professor look is still being rocked in the future. The same applies to her. Why are they wearing these clothes? This is the, fu- this is the future. Do we ever get to hear which year it is, by the way? No. No, we don't. But it is the distant future. They're colonizing other planets. Yeah, they're dropping spars, leisure centers out of space. Yeah. So, presumably, people don't need to wear cardigans and ill-fitting cardigans and, and grandpa shirts and ties. Like, do people wear the same tie? Oh, actually, no. There was a thing about his tie. Did you see that? He wore it, like, backwards. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, as in he had reversed the sides, basically. Okay, well, that much has changed. I actually made a note in connection to this, which was that in the future, in deep space, you still have all the same... Sexist stereotypes. Sexist, racist stereotypes. Every black person in this episode is a hostess or a mechanic. Or a, yeah, like a... Or a research um, assistant. Yeah, exactly. I was going to call her an intern. You're right, she's a research assistant. But she says herself her job largely entails carrying shit for the old white guy. Yeah, the old white guy. And did you notice that twice old white guy stops her like interrupts stops her. her and says stop bothering the man in capitals holy smokes really? the white man you are a black woman talking to a white man how dare how you how dare you interrupt this this man who shows an interest in my work yes mm, yeah not okay with with any of this well i think it's got to be intentional it must be it surely surely must be yeah because there there will have been a backlash you know first of all he's gay he's been fighting against this all his life yeah and now he has to put this on primetime television and the daily mail is going to bitch about how many black people are in the episode and so what do you think so i i would not be dude look at the Look at the geopolitical no, scene no, 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 now. I, yes, I, I realise I'm, I, I'm, I'm aware of that, but there's a yeah. certain discrepancy between that and how the Daily Mail would react to a bottle episode of Doctor Who in 2000 and whatever it well, was, it nine. Ju- it just adds to the, you know, the generalised media perception of the BBC being completely politically correct and look how many black people and oh she moved to another galaxy she oh no there's lesbian there's you yeah. know non-normative sexualities being depicted on the on the on bbc one on saturday evening when children are watching when somebody think of the children so rtd <laughs> has to put up with all that fucking shit yeah right yeah that's true and and he is being <laughs> subversive not not by that not by the presentation of that because that is a you know necessary progression of society we just have to get on board with people come on but he he's He's got the. He's making the point that yeah. you know these entrenched. Um, what's the, well, values, unfortunately, I think might might be a relevant word. Values these, and, and these oppressions. habits and yeah, oppressions. You're right. Yeah, that these, they are valid now and will last unless we do something about it. Yeah, they are incredibly persistent. Unless we come out against them, then they will be what define us throughout time and space. I think that's the point he's making here interesting how yet again by the way this has been done before on doctor who and new who anyway the yet again without any fuss whatsoever you know without the fuss that is normally lent to this sort of revelation in i hesitate to say this i'm very sorry american listeners but american tv someone is revealed to not be in a straight relationship not be heterosexual and you know there's no fuss made of it yeah yeah clearly there is 
a certain progress made there. The doctor doesn't go, how dare you be a lesbian? But then no progress has been made in terms of ethnic segregation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. that is a. I do see the point, and do you feel? I, do you not also feel like there's a slight imbalance there? Yes, possibly. Or actually, maybe it makes it even more realistic in a way. You know, one oppression has lasted. It's not necessarily. It's not depicted as an oppression uh, in within the the you know the, the scope of the episode. But no. but the, that role has that role dynamic hasn't been reversed or. Or balanced out and hasn't been equated, you know, equalized. Sorry, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, actually, that probably makes an even better and stronger point on his part. Well, yeah, I mean, he can. It seems clever after, or it seems it seems simple after the events that you think, oh, he's he's doing he's doing the complete opposite things. You, you can't say that he's he's making good points with completely antithetical messages. But I think he, I think that's probably intentional here. Yeah, I th- yeah, I take it back. I think it probably it strengthens either. I, it, one one scenario strengthens the other scenario. Yes. The fact that there has been some degree of social progress in terms of not being confined to heteronormative relationships strengthens the fact that the roles... Anyway, oh God, we're just going around in circles saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Next character, come on. Well, I, I just want to wrap that off with saying okay. I don't mean to be preachy and I don't want to tell people to be a certain way. Okay. It's just that I edited a feminist journal over the last couple of weeks. Okay. And uh, they they called me out as a heterosexual, cisgender, white, able-bodied Christian male. You identified Not, with a particular stereotype in this journal, did you? The, the, the journal was like, this is the viewpoint from the top of Privilege Mountain, yeah. where I reside, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, Mount Privilege. <laughs> yeah. And so all I want to say to you, Podcast Land, is don't be dicks. <laughs> I mean, let's leave it there. I'm not going to tell you to like or dislike certain people, but just don't be dicks. <laughs> well said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so another character. Another character. We've got Wingnut. Who's Wingnut? Merlin. Oh, yes. <laughs> so Merlin shows up in this thing. Yeah, that's it. That, that's what it is. I, I recognized him on screen as someone who, I, th- I think, quoting myself, that guy has made it big time in Hollywood, and then looked him up on Oh yeah, he plays Merlin. <laughs> and nothing else. That show I've never seen. Young Merlin. I've seen a poster for it and made a... Yeah, there were some calendars of Merlin, but mostly they featured really? young buff King Arthur. So it wasn't even him because, you know, he's all skinny, gaunt and angular. Right, so... but surely the, the show must be about Merlin. Yes, and the whole Arthurian, you know, legend. Okay. Like, we should make clear to our non-UK listeners that this was prime time on BBC One, pretty much in the Doctor Who Saturday night slot for a few years, this Merlin program. I think it was a huge thing. It, it, that's interesting, by the way. I didn't realise it was a BBC thing. Yes. I had no idea. I thought it was an American producer. No, no. Really? Yeah. My goodness. How ever did it survive? I don't know a single person in this country who watched that show <laughs> well, on that, state-funded BBC. Well, that's just that's just like Robin Hood and the Three Musketeers, you know, which had Capaldi for three, a yeah, very short say, well, time. The Three Musketeers people watched only because of Capaldi. Yeah, and then he left to do something better. Exactly. And I'm the sure show was, what. I'm assuming, discontinued. Uh, I, it was bumped around the schedules and right. <laughs> few people heard of it again. At some point, he's going to get around to it. Is that is what was the other one? Robin Hood. A Robin Hood. Wait, there's a Robin Hood TV show. See, this is another thing. I can't believe that the BBC does anything besides news and Doctor Who. It, it makes no sense that anything else would thrive in in a. <laughs> well, nothing else does. Nothing else lasts and gets the 
persistent ratings. These things are all... Oh, and Sherlock, plot. obviously. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's the only other one. Well, I mean, same production team. Anyway, right. So, okay, so Wingnut is in this anyway. Uh, who else? Uh, you've got the hostess whose name we never learn. That's true. Yeah, and she is... Well, she's from Cardiff, so I assume that's how she got the gig. <laughs> She she was first at the casting office, 801. Great. <laughs> Hired. <laughs> <laughs> off to the pub, off to Weatherspoons for the rest of the day. Uh, yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Kane, was it? Oh, yes, Mr. and Mrs. K- I only looked up Mr. Kane. Which okay, talk about him while I eat an olive. Well, th- these people, they're all the... They're all just bumping around the lower echelons of British TV. You know, they've all been in Holby City and Casualty and all that sort of thing. They haven't really done anything remarkable between them. And I think overall, Merlin included, even though he had, you know, a certain ascent. But this, yeah, but this was career. this was pre-Merlin. Yeah, right. But, so but they're still they're still digging in the same bucket of <laughs> yeah they're still scraping the same successful actors right yes up and coming may maybe we don't know they didn't know at the time yes but well, certainly at the time unsuccessful actors yes whether up and coming or perennial underachievers i thought that the writing as you say for as you say brings Catherine tate down i thought it elevated these people i i appreciated them more for the lines they were delivering rather than the acting they endowed them with i agree I mean, not a single one of them really stands out, to be honest, as a good actor or actress. Apart from Dave Troughton, of course. I mean, Dave Troughton has charm, he has charisma, but he's... I mean, there's a certain element of Doc Brown about him, to be honest, in this one. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know if I I would say he delivers, <laughs> you know, grade A, really spot-on acting. Yeah. Dee Dee certainly doesn't. I guess Sky does, by being super creepy. Once she gets super creepy... Yeah. She is A class. Yeah. But and, before, and also no, wait, there's that there's that look that she gives the doctor after he's, you know, sabotaged the entertainment system. Yeah. There's that look which is like, oh, okay, cool, you understand each other. But then the second they move into anecdote land, I've already, you know, she's lost. Yeah. Although at that point I was just thinking she was Miss Foster Mark 2. Who's Miss Foster? Foster from Partners in Crime. Which one's Miss Foster? She's the one with the other Sonic, Sarah Lancashire. Oh, right. Yeah. But that's just because they're what? blonde women of a certain age, I think. Probably. Oh, well, that's profiling. I don't know yeah, if that's sorry okay. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm not sure if I can stand for that. Look, look it's <laughs> Privileged Mountain is a long way up. I can only, I can only see so far. <laughs> okay. So who else? Anyone recognisable? No? I don't think so. I, I didn't look up Mrs. Kane, but I don't... No, I don't really think so. we need to. Different question. The conversation we just mentioned a second ago, Sky has a chat with the doctor and she goes, well, yeah, she left me. I'm recently single. This, you know, my, my either girlfriend or wife, uh, what have you. Maybe there's a different term in the future. Um, my dimensional partner. Um, yeah left me and she says I'm paraphrasing I didn't write down the quote but she says something like she went to a different galaxy like how much space do you need if you go to a different galaxy and it's a touching moment because you know she's lost someone that she really cared about yeah and the doctor has to top it the doctor (laughs) immediately goes like yeah I just lost someone who went to a different universe you know like suck on them apples yeah yeah you got nothing Nothing. I have suffered. You have no penis at all. I am the man. (laughs) How dare you interrupt the man? (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was like, oh, that is rude, Doctor. That is rude. One upmanship. Yeah. 
One up manship. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, the um, what's her face, Didi. She says that she is super interested in the lost moon of Poosh. Yes. And the doctor hints at, oh well, she is going to be the one who discovers the lost moon of Poosh. Oh, you think that's what he means? Isn't that exactly what he hints at? I suppose if he's like, maybe you're going to be the one. Maybe you'll make a grand discovery. I mean, I, I felt like that was a doctor. Oh, sorry. I keep possibly. I mean, he's isn't he just going around the galaxy? <laughs> hoovering up all the available vaginas. I mean, I don't well, think so you think at that point he's thinking, well, I've got this complimentary juice pack. I've got Didi. What more do I need? Yeah, if, Didi, if you run out of complimentary nuts... I've got a pair. <laughs> That's what he's thinking. He's thinking, I can right. see through that cardigan. You're barely past your mid-twenties. <laughs> he hasn't been looking at ordnance survey maps going, oh, look, in the future, they do discover the lost moon of Poosh. He is trying to get in there. He's literally just trying to get some Poosh. Yeah, he's like, you're an underappreciated companion. I know all about that. I'm an expert in underappreciating companions. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. He wants If you need a penis to cry on, then... (laughs) (laughs) I'm right here. Oh, that is the That is one of the most disturbing images. Sorry. No, that was perfect. That was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, so we've pretty much done the supporting cast. Where do you want to take it from here? Okay, not not necessarily the the longest conversation piece, particularly because I, I suspect that you haven't seen this one, but... In addition to The Edge of Discretion, I made another mental link back to a classic serial, namely The Daleks' Master Plan. Oh, 10 episode arc, right? 12, 12? episode arc. Oh, I think crumbs. I think 12 episodes plus a... Was it 11 episodes plus a 12th one that doesn't feature the Doctor? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, have a listen to the rip. Oh, with the first ever Christmas special. Yes. The Feast of Stephen. Anyway, the uh, in that one, temporary companion. Temporary? Yeah, very temporary companion. Katarina whom the Doctor uh, picked up in um, Troy, does exactly what the hostess does in this one. Oh. They're on a, in a spaceship in Dalek's Master Plan, not a, you know, a bus tank thing, yeah. tractor, whatever, yeah, as in could this even, one. Could even be a hovercraft for all we know. I, I think we get to see a picture of it and it has like tank, whatever those bands are called. What are they called? You know, like the... Oh, the Caterpillar tracks. Exactly. That's the one. Yeah. Right. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, so in Dalek's Master Plan, Katarina is in the airlock. And there's someone in there, there's a murderer in there with them because they've stopped by this prison planet. And this murderer is aboard the ship, clearly wants to kill the doctor and take over the ship and escape. And she blasts them out of the airlock, just like the hostess does in this one. And, um, spoiler for the end of Midnight. Yeah, anyway, short conversation piece, not even a conversation piece, short monologue piece, another reference to uh, Classic Who. Yeah, and actually, you mentioning that, that is perhaps where I got some whiplash. Oh, really? Where the hostess realising, I mean, okay, there is justification for her sacrifice in some way, or there is justification for her snapping out of the charismatic trance that she's been put into by whatever is in Sky, and realising that, wow, the Doctor is right, but then to jump from that to sacrificing herself in no time at all. I know exactly what you mean, but I link that back to what the horrendous Mrs. uh, Kane? 
Yes. Kane. Oh, I keep forgetting that name. What the horrendous Mrs. Kane said, namely the, you're the hostess, aren't you supposed to do something about this? Yes, you and uh, if the fire exits need to be used, you will use them first. I am at your disposal. Oh, yeah, you're right. We had Chekhov's fire exits. We had the, the uh, you know, <laughs> oh, by the way, guys, there's a fire exit and it takes exactly six seconds for the thing to blast people out of it. Just a certain death. Yeah, just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get on with this episode <laughs> fast forward 40 minutes oh my goodness there's a fire exit let's count to six <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah anyway th- there's another reference there why don't we move to rose oh yes on screen yeah so rose on screen. Makes- <laughs> number one so <laughs> it- rose makes another appearance on a screen very much like she did in poison sky yeah and that that must be the exact same footage that is used here and they thought that looks good in this episode which was going to be much nearer the poison sky in its original placement yeah. in the series let's bung it in in the flat five seconds we've got except in this one it seems much more deliberate well in this one the, the the doctor is the focus is actually on the screen while the doctor is in the foreground and he's blurry exactly that's this how is, in, this was very clearly a calculated move whereas the poison sky one this is what you wanted to say right yeah, that was my trivia, which you stole. Sorry. I actually liked the one, the unintentional one, where they shoehorned it in better than this one. I thought it was too obvious that they focused on the screen and the Doctor was out of focus in the foreground. Oh, but at this point, we're talking about the next episode. Rose shows up in the after credits, actually during credits, next week on Doctor Who type thing. Yeah. There's no denying that it's going to happen. I, I think it's almost to be expected that you're going to ham fist a reference to it. So this is all part of that gradual amplifying of these references, building of expectations. Yeah, exactly. And okay. given that this is the very last chance that you get to have an allusion to something that's about to happen, because next step is it's happening. Yeah, it's going to be blatant. It's going to be very much in your face, which yeah, which is what happened. Yeah. But you think it's the exact same footage? You think you think it's the same I clip? Think so. Well, it's just her going. Bah, bah. Which blah, is obviously blah, Doctor. But, blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> it's the same three and a half seconds. All right. One, two, three. <laughs> Cuts, something else happens. Right, I am very tempted to take those two clips side by side and make a tiny little teaser. Yeah, that's happening. That's Do happening. it. I'm yes. doing that, I'm doing that. This is what we're all about, added value. <laughs> we are piggybacking off a show and adding negligible value that you can't live without. <laughs> Exactly! Yeah, right? Yeah. (laughs) You would be negligibly worse off were you not listening to us right now, I I hope. Everyone appreciates your honesty, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, dude. That's okay. You've only put like three years of your life into this. (laughs) So I'm a traveller, what, like an immigrant? Oh, yes, that that was on the nose, but I thought it was justified in how heated things were getting. I mean, yeah, do it. Call people out for, yeah. you know, the associations they... Yeah, know, let's, let's not get back into that conversation again. Yeah, but, yeah. but yes, absolutely, that does happen. Do you have anything else in your notes? Mm. Ocean of Noise. We must not look at goblin men. There are two cultural references, one of which I could not find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So we have Christina Rossetti, the goblin market. There's the note, we must not look at the goblin men note. There's the quote... Yeah, and that is the reference you could find. RTD didn't make that up and then falsely attribute it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good. But then there's the other one, which was... Uh, I had to pause... Actually, I had to rewind and then time it and pause it. Sky is reading Ocean of Noise by F.R. Butler. Oh, right. 
Okay. I think that's made up. Well, then it must have some sort of foreboding, foreshadowing... Exactly, right. ...significance. Exactly. Right? Right. So, it, I mean, I, I looked it up. The only thing that I could find... On, on Google, anyway, okay. was a song called Ocean of Noise. Um, but there's there's no reference to a butler, or, you know, as in the name butler, or, yeah. or the word, the job. Yeah. Hmm. Felicity Rachel Butler, or whoever it is. Mm. Frank Reginald Frau, Butler. Frau Butler. The, yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Okay, that's a weird loose end. Yeah. I thought everything in Doctor Who meant something. But Ocean of Noise. Ocean of Noise. If anyone out in podcast land knows what that is a reference to, I mean, it, let's say it's very possible that this is actually a book that exists and I just didn't find it on my very quick five second Google. But if it's not, then it's something that the production team made an effort to, you know, they, they printed a fake book cover wrapped it around a real book and mm. made someone read it and gave it some screen time for a reason. If anyone out in podcast land knows of a reason, let us know. What I love is that page two of the Google search is full of all the information you need, but if it's not in the first ten... <laughs> I don't care. It might as well not exist. Exactly. I'm, I'm not going to give it a moment of my life. <laughs> I think that this could possibly be the follow-up. Do, do you remember on the Titanic episode, the Space Titanic. Yeah. And you had that random band singing because they were RTD's best mates Oh, or yeah, yeah. It's like his nephew's band or something. Yeah, or his nieces, some Welsh band of nobodies. I reckon that this was their follow-up single. <laughs> <laughs> <Ocean> <laughs> it just completely bombed. Hang on, I'm going to find out. Wait, wait, what was it? Ocean of Noise, Arcade Fire. Ocean of Noise. There's an actual song. Okay, well, that might be a reference to this. Actually, that's true. <laughs> and then again, Ocean of Noise sounds sort of bland enough, you know? Yeah. Doesn't look relevant. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there was some weird, I mean, the uh, the retro Earth classics, whoever that was, oh. and and the sub-Futurama opening animation clips. <laughs> <laughs> With some old guy punching above his weight uh, with Betty Boop. It was Betty Boop, yeah. It was absolutely Betty Boop. It does bug me a little bit, like, that the only cultural references... We are the nostalgia generation. We are nostalgic for stuff that happened, let's say, around the 90s, 80s and 90s. Yeah, we're nostalgic for the early days of the internet, before it all got really heavy. And all of a sudden, I mean, fast forward, whichever year this takes place in, let's say we fast forward 5,000 years or something, people seem to be nostalgic for Betty Bloody Boop. And that song from the 80s, whatever that was. Ah, 70s. It's got to be 70s. Okay, fine, 70s. That it that bugs me a little bit, that every single time, just like the, you know, the end of the world episodes, the, the second New Who episode with Eccleston, yeah. uh, where they're like, oh, and here's some, here's a classic Earth jukebox and it's playing Britney Spears. Like, all yeah. of future nostalgia is set in our past. Yeah, and the pub quiz questions all about the Beatles hits. Exactly. Classical music. That, oh, that's, uh, that's a pet peeve. Sorry, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could perhaps justify it in that, you know, this has been a century of unprecedented technological you know, evolution. Mm. And Betty Oh, Boop- but actually, that was the pinnacle. Betty Boop was the pinnacle no, no, no. of cultural achievement. No, Betty Boop, no. Will, Betty Boop will always be among 
the first you know years or decades of animation because you're right actually that's true yeah it's always going back to the beginning it's just that you have to go further to get there but surely at some point i mean what the the hoster says is is so we have some retro music whatever from the retro channel yeah and then we have for the kids we have some classic old school you know animations cartoons yeah for the kids kids today wouldn't want to watch betty boop like kids today <laughs> have no patience for betty boop what it's black and white it might might as well be subtitled you know yeah. I, and what i did enjoy though in that scene was the uh, it, and it actually it is an escalation of what we are experiencing already today in real life that people have such a short attention span they need absolutely everything at once they need oh, yeah. a million pieces of entertainment thrust upon them at the same time and that is exactly how entertainment works in the future (laughs) was like oh well you're getting this art installation and this shitty cartoon and this shitty music all at once and you're not going to be able to distinguish either one of them but that's how we do it in the future that's actually quite prescient considering how much second screening we all engage in now yeah true exactly right yeah that's good yeah Good point. Well, I thought that was interesting. Uh, give us a point. What, what have you got? What did you think of the whole extonic spiel? <laughs> My first note is extonic sunlight. I, and I, I wrote that down because I wanted to look up extonic, if that means any anything. What does that mean? Uh, it means... Out of tonic. There's an X <laughs> sound and it sounds cool. Right. Yeah. 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 It, I, mean, I mean, presumably this is the only mention of it ever in the history of Doctor Who. Because it makes it impossible for something to live by a sun. How could a sun be anything different? How could there be different kinds of suns? I mean, okay. There's a no- different gas or something in the atmosphere and that makes the sun's rays... What's the idea? Does it, is it that it makes it toxic or is it that it makes it just deadly strong? Yeah, there's some I think toxic. Well, yeah, there's some sort of radiation that is like UV, but to the point where nothing organic, assuming all life is organic, can is that the idea? Survive. Then is that the idea? Then that it is X tonic, as in a, there's a like imagine a tonic, as in a gin and tonic, a tonic, tonic water, tonic that it is meant to help you, that is meant to cure you in some way, you know, aid in recuperation, and this is X. Tonic, it takes it out of that. No, 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 no recuperation for you, buddy. If you set foot <laughs> on the atmosphere of, you know, on the, sorry, on the surface of this planet, then you're absolutely boned because the extonic sun rays or sunlight is going to suck all the recuperative energy out of you. Possibly. I think it is just a collection of nice sounding syllables. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking yeah. for meaning, but there is none. But I, I mean, I don't want to constrain, you know, and discount this story possibly existing where there's a sun that is made of a different... Maybe. You know, components. Right. But, but, I mean, you know, are you an expert in, in astronomical phenomena? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a advanced heliologist, man. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Ah, yes. Dropping some helios. Because, <laughs> you know, suns are big and suns are small, but they're all hydrogen and helium and belching out heat and light. I mean, not extonias <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Extonics? Oh, yeah. But no, no, I'll allow it. I'll allow it because I'm on privileged mountain. I get to say what is and what isn't. <laughs> the last time I do that this episode. <laughs> no, I think this is a good shtick. <laughs> There's one scene, I think, in one of the conversations that we hear in this episode about the extonic sunlight, about how we wouldn't want to let any extonic light in, yeah. which is when the doctor goes into the cockpit, so to speak, and he says, like, well, why don't we you know, sneak a peek at the surface? Oh, yeah, with Driver Joe and uh, Mechanic Claude. 
not mechanic, trainee mechanic. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, don't give him any privilege where he uh, ain't got none in the future. Yeah, anyway, and he goes, well, come on, let's sneak a peek at the surface. And they say, well, Extonic, it's going to, like, it's going to basically start shaving off, I guess, millimeters of glass between them and whatever, and the and the planet. Right. Or the atmosphere. They have a look at that, but that scene is amazing. And I had a look at that scene twice, because in that scene, Claude goes, did you guys see that? There's something right there. And, oh, it came running towards us. And I, yeah. I rewound it, and I played it again. I really tried to see something. Okay, and... As did I, as did I. Did you see anything? I did not see a single thing. Nor did I. I don't think that there is anything there, which is such an ingenious move. Right. It's so brilliant. I think so. I mean, I'm assuming that there's nothing there. I mean, okay, I guess it's possible that there is some shadow and then we just missed it. But I'd like to think that there is nothing there. That I'd like to think that it is literally like we're we could we might as well just be looking at a still image, right? Yeah, Um, we could IMAX that screen and nothing would show up. Nothing whatsoever. There is no movement. There is nothing running towards them. There's no shade anywhere. And there is shade. This is RTD shading Moffat. Yes, because last time metaphorical shade. Last time you were like, it's so much better if we don't see the foe. And here's RTD setting Moffat up to fall on this sword, and then he's like, look, look, look at me, I'm bringing it. I'm doing exactly what you want. I dare to do this because I originally wrote this as a. as a pilot episode for a series <laughs> that won't happen and I didn't think that we'd ever have the budget to do a costume I think that's ingenious and I, I think the production team behind Doctor Who they're thinking well the fans are clearly going to rewind this there's going to be I, I haven't looked but I'm assuming that there's like a slow motion you know blown up version of that screen on yeah. YouTube or Daily Motion or Vimeo or something there are there are nerds out there who have taken those five seconds of video and meticulously analysed it someone's writing a fucking thesis about those five seconds <laughs> swearing that they're seeing something move in a corner and that's the genius of that scene yeah that's I, the genius of the production team i rewound it at least three times and I, he just says well on done. that ridge is that being i looked at the bloody ridge there's nothing well, on no, that ridge. this scene's full of ridges it's all ridges <laughs> <laughs> and even when he's pointing, he's waving his finger around. No, well, I feel like he's pointing at the like the, the bottom right. He is, but he is also being vague while still, you know, being somewhat, you know, targeted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, wonderful stuff. See, I, I came in expecting you to say, yeah, I saw the shadow, you're just an idiot. But this is much better. <laughs> so much better. Okay. <laughs> what did you think of the planet in general? It's beautiful. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, we we get to see incredibly little of it. We get to see a little bit of the sky and a tiny bit of, I guess, sort of mountainous panorama when, um, what's-her-face, Donna Noble <laughs> is uh, getting her vagina waxed. Yeah. Tiny Can you imagine bit. how good a vajazzle would look with those, you know, poison diamonds? Poison diamonds? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <the, laughs> Yeah, that's that. I mean, there's nothing there, and then we get to Ooh, see it. The planet did look lovely, and I couldn't tell whether it was a giant city or just rock formations at the beginning. But you know what? It was so sparkly and pretty. I don't really mind. No, it, nor did I. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is beautiful. It's also fascinating that they're going on a tour. What exactly is this tour meant to do? I mean, they're, they're going on a tour ahead of which they 
closed like blast doors ahead of the windows and the drivers don't know what they're doing. The computer, it seems, clearly is driving for them. The only thing that people aboard of the ship can see is a screen which shows a computer animation a la, you know, bloody Escape from New York. Like, oh, seen from above in 8-bit, this is where we are, Winter Witch Valley. But... Are they at any point actually going to see the planet themselves? Yeah, they are. Is the idea that the blast doors go up last minute for like five minutes and then they go back? Yeah, they get to the Sapphire Waterfall and that is a place on the planet which somehow is not 100% X-tonic, which is what it is where they're stranded and where they can only open the the window shields for a couple of minutes. Oh, I see, I missed that. Okay. So yes, in in the shadow of this giant uh, crystal glacier or whatever, that's where they get a chance to look at the scenery. Wow. Okay, gotcha. But something you mentioned there, the cross, the cross on the screen. Yeah. Not only that, but if you look uh, like three or four minutes from the end, when the doctor is heaving himself up after they've been blasted out. Yeah. The lights on the floor are a perfect crucifix. Oh, really? Perfect. Well, that's an, that's an odd piece of imagery to it include is, in this but episode. But this is also Crusader 50. Oh, you're right, it is. Yeah, there, there are at least three elements to this. Oh, that's very odd. Which seals it for me. But, but, because wh- he's, but why? He's why? the lonely god, isn't he? Yeah, he's, but why? He's stealing all the best bits yes, of Jesus yes, yes. without yeah. that pesky Bible. Yes, I get that. And those randy Catholic priests. Yeah, but dude, Meister, I get that. But how does that fit? This doesn't feel like the optimal setting for that message to be delivered. No, it's not. And it completely is secondary and extraneous. That would have been better placed in, let's say, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead, where you have the afterlife and all the other things where you can quite easily pencil in a, a, a crucifix or just the, you know, the Messiah myth. Yeah, but that's not Moffat's style, is it? Moffat's style is to make a big son of God and shout at it. Yes, that is true. Yeah. But so then instead, RTD wrote a story that had absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with religion or, you know, standard messianic traditions and instead just plopped a few crucifixes in there. That seems very out of place. I didn't notice this at all, by the way. That's a very good observation. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's like how he plopped hymns into gridlock and so on. It's, oh, you're right. You know, he, he's just plopping away. Oh, you are right. That's a, that's a super good reference, by the way. Yeah, sold. This is just what RTD does. Yeah. Yeah. That's his conception of, you know, Doctor Who and his messianic nature in one way or another. It's like what? a last minute edition. Oh, everything's great. Well... Let's call it a crusader. That, that, that's fine. That's enough. I mean, he's done infinitely more to highlight sexuality and ethnicity. Yeah. Religion seems very... It's a superficial addition. Well, I think there you probably come up against the BBC's, you know, broadcasting standards and guidelines, don't you? Because the UK is predominantly a Christian country. Yeah. And, you know, the BBC isn't going to accept, you know, anything too blatant. Really? One way or the other. Well, I mean, it does sometimes... But I think a sustained... We've had lots of of New Who that covers alien cults and... We had bloody Satan. We had Satan in an episode, in two episodes. Yes, but that, in a way, 
props up the Christian tradition in a strange way, you know, in allowing that even in this fictional scientific universe, that could be the cosmology of it. Sure, but having the Doctor facing off, like, you know, literally face-to-face with the devil, yeah, that's a way more blatant way of saying, guys, this guy's God, you know? <laughs> the way I distinguish it is yeah. that RTD can get away with these things and Moffat can get away with the things he does, calling all the episodes Death in Heaven and Heavens for Idiots and all that sort of <laughs> business. Heaven for dummies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. it's Heavens the diff- for idiots, is that what you said? <laughs> well... <laughs> He wishes. It's the difference between that, right, and the Doctor facing off against Satan, and what I always fear will be, and what I actually fear will be Moffat's final episode. Like, he, his last <gasps> episode is this coming up Christmas episode. Yeah. And I fear, as they suggested in the original series notes to Doctor Who, why not take Doctor Who back to the birth of Christ and see what actually happened there? And Moffat will take him back there and he will explain away Jesus Christ and the reality or the myth of it or whatever as just a Doctor Who storyline. And that's the difference for me. He doesn't actually mess with the religion's, you know, core structure he just alludes to it oh that is such a tragically probable (laughs) (laughs) every year i think this this could happen Oh, he has, it doesn't, I, to his credit. I genuinely hope that that is not the case. I don't think that they... Oh, maybe would they? Would they? No, Moffat I would. don't I mean, think so. Moffat would be very tempted, I think, but I don't think the BBC as such would because it would potentially offend too many people. Yeah, and that's, that's why I think it's kept on a certain level. Symbolism and imagery, great, yeah. but actually a- attracting tens of thousands of write-ins and complaints, not so much. Yeah, exactly. Okay, what else have you got? I don't have much left, actually. Okay. I didn't like it at the time, but now I think it's quite funny how when the hubbub is first building, everybody's going, are we are running out of air? What's going on? And you can see, you can hear the music building and you can see the camera zooming in on the doctor and you just know he's just going to shout. And then he does. <laughs> and I didn't like it and, at the time, but now I think it's, I don't know, I guess I'm used to it. It didn't bother me at all, actually. Okay. And just to say, like you said, it was so well crafted the way that... First of all, the sky is haltingly copying people, and then she's exactly mirroring them. And uh, it's just, there's so much of the episode that is just a perfect escalation. And one thing follows another, and it all seems really simple. Each idea on its own seems really simple. And the doctor is going through the alphabet with her, and you think, oh, this is fun. And the second you think it's fun, something creepier happens. <laughs> that, that was, by the way, that was the only thing that I remembered of this episode. I mean, aside from the fact that it was great and that it was a bottle episode. Miriam and I sat down and watched this together two nights ago. Yeah. And she asked me, have you seen this? She remembered it being great and she remembered a few details. And she asked me, what do you remember? Basically begging me for spoilers. I go, okay, so I remember that something is imitating someone, then catches up with them and then supersedes it and actually does something ahead of the original. But I don't remember what it is. And then the episode starts, and they start knocking on the walls. Yeah. And I actually paused the episode, and we're like, that's it. That is it. Like, at some point, someone's going to go, like, knock four times, and it's going to knock back four times before you've knocked four times. That's what it's, what it's going to be. And it ended up not being that. It was the actual speech. But that, as an element, 
when was this aired? 2009? 2008. 2008. That is nine years ago. That tiny element, even though I forgot the execution of it, that element was so effective that in 2017, <laughs> yeah. I still remembered it. You know, it's incredibly well done and such a good idea. And my the other thing I'd like to draw attention to is how well they twist the Doctor's words mm. and use them against him. And he says, I'm clever. And they call it they call him out on everything. Yeah, they're not, they do. They're not just plucking lines out of the air. They are twisting like, like hostile reviewers. Speaking of using his words against him, in the very beginning when he... I, I felt, oh, it seems a little forced that he's going allons-y and he's even, you know, stopping to explain what it means. And then he, he has his other catchphrase. Which other catchphrase is it? Molto bene. That's what it is, yes. Molto bene. There's too much attention lent to those catchphrases, and I felt like, oh, this is a little ham-fisted. But then it all comes around, yeah. and suddenly you understand as the viewer, oh, the reason we gave that so much attention is because the other passengers who don't know the Doctor, they need to really, really be treated to these catchphrases, and we as the audience need to understand that they recognize it. It's, oh, I just came. I mean, that is amazing. I'm I'm really, I'm grateful to RTD for having written this. Yeah, and also it fitted For in- a completely different purpose other than Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but it also fitted in with Sky in the moment of her triumph being so self-satisfied, which is what the Doctor is every moment of his existence. Yeah, you're right. To suddenly start reeling off his catchphrases, that fitted yeah. in. Yeah, you're right. Oh, it's great. You're right. That's a, that's a brilliant observation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, shall we jump into ratings, dude? Oh, just one thing. Okay, one thing. The Doctor talking to the implacable foe, trying to understand it, trying to establish lines of communication. We've talked about this time and time again. Here he is, and she's parroting back at him as he is saying it. Yeah. And he knows that he should be quiet and at the back of the ship, but he has to try and establish. I thought about that, as in, rather, to clarify, I thought about you saying that when watching this episode. The, the whole, like, oh, well, here's a foe that we probably shouldn't get entangled with. But yet he does, because he has to give everyone a chance. Yeah, he could just, they could all just shut up for 50 minutes and the rescue vehicle would arrive. Exactly, problem solved. Yeah. What is this one individual going to do against however many six or seven people there are in the rest of the bus? Final thing! The simul oh, talking. God damn it. The simul talking. The simul talking. And the actress who played Tenant Sky. And the actress. That was good. Wasn't it? It really was, yeah. I mean <sighs> I mean they 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 didn't at first I thought oh great this is really impressive oh no why did they cut away now we're just seeing one do it and now the other but then they went back to it they didn't exhaust it on the first showing and then i was like great now i'm seeing more of it it was <laughs> this episode was really well directed as well. it was yeah actually that brings me around to another point of tension i mean the doctor if he doesn't say it outright he certainly insinuates that you shouldn't let her imitate you too much because she's tr- she's doing something nefarious you know there's something dastardly behind that act yeah she's appropriating your discourse is that is that a quote no i'm just oh, okay feminist <laughs> journal again. <All> right so <laughs> yet he volunteers his voice I mean, in the name of what? I don't know. Curiosity, maybe? Or his instinctive desire to to help other living beings? Maybe that's what it is? He knows 
all the theories that he offers up are they're not necessarily negative but they are potentially destructive <laughs> you know like are you absorbing yeah. are you you know what are you what are you trying to do here what is this what is this yeah. going on here is a range of options yeah. <laughs> and you can pick the one that most suits you <laughs> yeah last thing fucking hell man last thing i'm editing this Last thing. Last thing. That's all you get. Doc says planet can keep on turning in silence when they take up the leisure palace and go away. It's not the silence, right? No. We're living on this planet. No, it's the... <gasps> Actually, oh, God damn. You should have said that because now I have to say something else. No, it's... it's <laughs> that actually alludes back to what you said before. What they should have done is they should have spent 50 minutes in silence, right? Right. Because this thing seems to draw power and influence from people's voice, people's speech. At the very end, he says that in a scene that is amazing. It's a little, like, it's just a smidge too long. But it is amazing nonetheless, and it is when he is reunited with Donna Noble. Oh, yay, heart of the show. Screw her. And, <laughs> <laughs> and she imitates him, and he just goes, no, don't do that. Mm. Don't do that. That's amazing. Unfortunately, he says, don't do that, like, four or five times, and he only has to don't. say it once or twice. Don't. Exactly. Don't. Exactly. Don't. Don't. That's, that's it, yeah. See, you lost me after two of those. Yeah. yeah. And, and unfortunately, he does that a few too, uh, times too many, but that's that's fine. That scene is still, it's so poignant. She also gets sort of a, a flick on the nose, you know. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that was it. And now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Ratings. Ratings, you first. My rating begins as follows. Not enough done a noble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? But Tennant did brilliantly, and this was a horrendous watch. I mean, it was harrowing. And what negligible latex suit scare factor it lacked in never seeing the foe, my nightmares will more than make up for tonight. And probably for the next week. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't give a shit about any of the fellow passengers, but that turned out to be to the story's advantage. I reckon this is probably up in RTD's top three. Like, with the end Agreed. of time... Maybe parting of the ways and maybe what's to come in the rest of this series. I mean, I like the next Doctor, but this is better than that, I think. Hmm. So, yeah. And the episode got stronger and stronger, which you know I like. Yeah. And creepier and creepier. Yeah. Molto bene, 4.6. 4.6, nice one. I'm going to keep it short and sweet as well. Starting with, just enough Donna Noble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just about the right amount. <laughs> Last week she was domesticated, and this week she's almost off screen entirely. We're getting there. It's interesting that before we sat down to review this, so roughly an hour and a half ago, I was thinking it bothers me a little bit that this episode at the time felt repurposed for Doctor Who. But now you've convinced me otherwise. It was, and it is, and it will remain great science fiction. And it doesn't matter if it's Doctor Who or not, the Doctor is in it. This is Hoovian. I love it. The tension is great. The acting is... I mean, it's, it's good. It's good enough. The writing is splendid. I mean, mm. the writing is just perfect. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Give that the oof that it deserves, Drew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Upon re-watching this, I wish I had re-watched it thinking, yes, the Doctor is a poon hound, as clearly you did when you were, <laughs> when you were watching this. But uh, Isn't that why he's on the trip? He thinks this is Club 18 to 30. <laughs> Wait, what? This is a bus with caterpillar <laughs> drags? <laughs> uh, I've just packed a suitcase full of condoms. The, um... No, I'm just gonna raw dog everyone. <laughs> 
sorry. Short and sweet. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> In summary, I can't go as high as I did before with Science in the Library, which I gave 4.7, I believe, for reasons that you need to listen. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to listen to our Science in the Library and Forest of the Dead reviews. And then all the others. And Yes, exactly. And then you'll understand. Then you'll get the context. But for that reason, I will give this a 4.6 as well. Hey, perfect hey, score. Ka-ching. Nice. Nice. Great. Great. Are we the only Are we people? the only people? To have, to have reviewed this episode. Reviewed this episode. <laughs> He's even doing the eyebrows thing the like eyebrows I'm doing. doing. Oh my goodness, Leo has the biggest dick in the world. What? Sorry, I went ahead of you there. The, uh... Sorry. One martini and one spritz later. And about three hours. Yeah, then I start talking about my dick. We have a listener mini. Really? Who's it from? Tracy from America. Tracy goes, Tracy here. I'm on a break from digging out of this blizzard and I'll be doing this one from memory. That gives us a clue as to where you are, Tracy. She's in Albany, New York. Bingo. (laughs) Tracy continues. This is a bottle episode. Everyone is stuck in a room and it's all about the character. I feel a bit strange about the direction the doc takes immediately. He breaks all the media to force them to get to know one another. And I'm breaking from Tracy's review. His shark grin. When everyone has to talk. Oh, I did like that. I I liked it as well. Tracy continues. I mean, I know he loves company, but couldn't he just turn on the charm, flash those teeth and schmooze instead of breaking things? Oh, I quite liked it, actually. I liked his sabotage. Anyway, uh, Tracy goes on. Eventually, shit goes down. There's pounding on the walls, and one of them, Sky Silvestri, is inexplicably repeating, then synchronizing, then preceding their words. It's not the pounding on the walls the doc had in mind, either. (laughs) (laughs) Payo! And she's fixated on the doctor. Soon they are all yelling and freaking out, and the doctor goes quiet as a strange force holds him silent and still. And look at Tennant go! He's basically acting from his eyes only. I see this episode as the least Doctor Who-like of any I can remember. Ah. It's full of such concentrated psychological terror. None of the usual slowly solving and unraveling mystery. None of the Doctor's cheeky winning flair. None of his brazen bluffing and talking the enemy into confusion. His voice is literally stolen and we can see what that does to him. Oh my god, did we not just say this? We are 173% on the same page, Tracy. Tracy goes on, in the end we don't even get an answer as to who or what the enemy was, but that's not the point this time. A unique Unique episode, to be sure. And her rating is... Breathless. Breathless. (laughs) You went for baritone and I went for creepy pervert. It'll combine in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) It comes out as a perfect Hasselhoff. Yeah, creepy pervert baritone. (laughs) Yeah, very nice mini. Thank you very much for sending that in, Tracy. Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, if you are not Tracy, or if you are, and you want to follow Tracy, then you can. She's on Twitter. High five her and tell her hi from us. She is at Yekatnyatnuf. That's That's Fountain Tracy backwards. Holy shit, we just midnighted again. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a fantastic episode. Well, I wouldn't presume, but I hope that's what Podcast Land thinks too. Good, good, good fun. Where are we going next? Well, we're turning left. Yes, the next New Who review is going to be turn left. Before that, after that, I'm not going to presume to know. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) We're also going to be dropping a clown. Classic Who review, namely of Inferno. We've not been very good at announcing beforehand which episodes we are going to record and when, which we appreciate makes writing 
making minis and sending them to us a little bit more complicated. So going forward, we're going to try to be a little bit better at this. And as and when we pencil in a recording session, which, by the way, we're not super professional. This tends to be like, hey, guys, you want to record on Thursday? Fantastic. Let's do it. If that happens. It's the worst impression of me I've ever heard. But yeah, that was that was 100 percent. you. I'm glad that you recognized yourself, by the way. <laughs> oh, hey, Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Nick. Wasn't or even TV. Marie. Or Marie. That was you. <laughs> I can't believe you think I sound like that. As and when we schedule a recording session, we might just pop it on Facebook just to let you guys know that something is coming up and that way you'll have a little bit more of a heads up. That means, by the way, if you're not following us on Facebook already, please do because that will give you the heads up in question. Cool. Should I even mention audiobooks? Well, yeah, I mean people might forget that the next audiobook review is going to be of The, the Cannibalists! Cannibalists! Holy smokeroonies. Any week now. Yeah. By the way, just to keep up to date with The Cannibalists, to not let it fade from memory completely, I think I've listen to it seven times now <laughs> oh wow like i just have it on my phone it's just like constantly there occasionally it pops up on shuffle fucking annoying <laughs> goodness uh, anyway is it better than we're and dawn at least yeah okay yeah people can follow you on twitter can they not they can it's all original material on twitter none of this retweeting bollocks i'm at drew back when <laughs> <laughs> and how about you <laughs> And I'm at Pumpkin, you know how to spell that. I mostly retweet tweets that I send from the Who Back When channel. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally I say something of my own. Until the next time. <laughs> Be rad and excellent to each other. Oh my god, you've surpassed me. <laughs> <laughs> Cha ciao. <laughs> Bye. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or, <laughs> still funny, audio Who review. Cha-chow. Who back when?